Good morning. So glad you're with us here at South City. Uh, one week from tomorrow, uh, I'm very blessed to celebrate with my beautiful bride 24 years of marriage. It's pretty, pretty good. Um, she's the most wonderful woman I've ever known. And uh, I love her with all my heart, and she has had so much grace for me. Goodness. Uh, as you can tell, we were 12-ish when we got married, if you're doing the math this morning. <clears throat> 24 plus 12 is, yeah. Not really, not really, no. You know, when I married Lori, we, we, were, uh, we met each other in college at CBC. And um, we both loved Jesus, and we grew to fall in love with each other. And um, it was very special. We had a relationship with him, we had a relationship with each other. But as we, we fell in love, we realized that God was showing us not only our love for each other, but His design for our lives. There was no question when we met that, that uh, and when we fell in love, that I was going to marry her, that I was going to be committed to her, that I was going to be faithful to her, that I was going to care for her and serve her for the rest of her life or mine, whichever came first. I'm committed to that with all of my heart and all of my life. Um, there was never a question about whether I would do that or not. And because I loved her, I made a covenant promise with her. You remember we said the covenant is uh, the deepest promise you can make. And so I made a covenant promise with her. Also, Malachi 2 speaks about the covenant in marriage. It's a very serious thing that we have. And we're to be faithful to it. We're to honor the Lord and each other in this covenant of marriage. So we made a covenant together. We defined a covenant a few weeks ago. Covenant is a serious and sacred promise where two or more parties define their relationship and commit to upholding their responsibilities to it. What's interesting is Lori and I had never been married before, obviously. We were just kids. We weren't quite 12, but we were young. We were 21. And uh, we didn't know what it took to be married, right? We, we took these vows, and, and those vows said that in, in sickness and in health, we never wanted to really walk through major sickness. And it said for richer or poor, we'd never had any money or, or not had enough to eat. We'd never, you know, we'd kind of been in the middle of all those things. My point is, when we made that covenant, it was an aspirational covenant. It was one saying, this is who we want to be. We want our marriage to be one where in sickness and in health, we'll love each other. In good times and bad, for richer or poor, we're going to love each other. But we had never been there. So it was a hopeful covenant. It was one we wanted to live up to. Does that make sense? I'm also excited to uh, say that my parents' anniversary is this week. 60 years for them. And I'm sure they could tell you. I know I can tell you. And I'm sure all of us who've been married before can tell you marriage is, is difficult. It's not perfect, is it? We make mistakes. For Lori and I, there was never a question um, whether or not we were going to work things out, you know. Lori comes from a broken home. Uh, her parents divorced when she was in junior high school. We just, while we were dating, we started talking about marriage. And we decided, hey, you know what? Let's just take that option off the table. No divorce for us. It's not an option. And we, we've lived that way. So what do you have to do when that's the case? Well, you've got to figure it out. You've got to work it out. You've got to wrestle it out. We will not divorce. We will be married to each other. We will honor God and, and the covenant that we've made with him and each other. That means marriage is not about our own happiness. 
It's not about our own uh, desires. It's about fulfilling that covenant with God and each other. When it gets tough, you work it out. We stay committed. We love. We uphold our, our responsibilities to that covenant, whether we feel like it or not, <laughs> whether we're happy in that moment or not. You see, a covenant is about something bigger. A marriage covenant, you feel a sacredness, don't you? When you go to a a wedding, I love them because, I love them and I hate them because they're so nerve-wracking for people who are in them. I could sing in front of thousands of people and be fine, but if I was asked to sing in a wedding, I'd be, uh, it was a nervous wreck. There's a sacredness to, to, to weddings. It's because we're sensing something in our soul that there's something bigger going on here in this covenant. As these two people make a covenant together, there's something bigger than just the two of you coming together. There's something bigger. You're you're saying, we submit to a holy God and his design for a family, his design for a marriage. And as we submit to that, it's bigger than us. It's not just about what we want or what we think or what we want to do. No, we're going to come under the covenant of God and honor him. It's the same with the church covenant. We're saying, when we do this, this is bigger than just us individually. This is about family. This is about God's design, not only for the, the each unique family, but also for his family of the church. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, the church looks a little different today, doesn't it, than first century Jerusalem. Just a little bit. It looks a lot different. It looks a lot different. In fact, we, we've talked about the Acts 2 church and the examples given in Acts 2 about what the church looks like. And it's beautiful, isn't it? People walking life together. People learning under the apostles together. Having meals together. Uh, doing spiritual disciplines together. Walking life together in such a way that they're loving each other enough to even support each other. It's beautiful. It is a beautiful thing we see in Acts 2. And it's a beautiful example for us to learn from. But we also see churches like the church at Corinth, don't we? And trust me, that church was a mess. They're not very far apart from each other as far as years are concerned, right? This, the Acts 2 church, and now all of a sudden we look at the, the church in Corinth, and it's a mess. And you know what the expectation Paul had for the Corinthians? Figure it out. Work it out. You're called to God and each other. So be obedient to his word. Love each other sacrificially. Love one another and work it out, come back together and figure it out. We see both examples. Question's been asked, and that's a really good question. Hey, did the early church sign a covenant? I mean, we've we've talked about covenant the last couple of weeks. We talked about Old Testament covenant, God's many covenants with his people, and and also his uh, very many men that have done covenants with God and the people that they've led. So many, we've talked about those. But in the early church, we don't see this covenant where people sign and it's a part of the thing that we're talking about today. Why, why don't we see that? And I, I wrestled with that and I prayed about it. What, what, I, what we see in Acts 2 and other places is the effects of a covenant relationship, right? We see when people walk together in that way, it's a part of a covenantal relationship they've made with each other. Let me tell you, they didn't sign a piece of paper, but they were committed. You see, to be a part of the first century church, it wasn't about a piece of paper that you signed. It was about, am I willing to give my life to be identified with Jesus and his church? Would you call that commitment? See, you could recognize the people who were gods because they were hanging on the walls of Rome. 
burning to light the streets. You could recognize the people of God because they were beheaded and run through. It was Paul being beheaded. It was Peter being crucified upside down. It's Stephen being stoned to death and them all saying, you know what? I will be Christ's person. He is my Lord and I am his and I will be identified with him and his church. Their covenant was written in blood. We don't live in a culture today that requires that type of uh, expression of our faith, at least in America. We see all, in different places of the world, there are people who are dying. There, there will be people who die today because of their relationship with Jesus. And we don't think about it enough. We don't pray for them enough. We don't mourn over the reality of that enough. But you probably won't face that. And yet in ways, Jesus makes a promise that we'll all be persecuted. And we'll all have to deal with the reality that if we're his, we'll walk in difficulty at times. But we don't face that in our culture today. Well, we've been in this series called, I Love My Church. I even wore a t-shirt for it, right? I love my church. And we've been talking about what is covenant? Why, why does it make sense for covenant? How do we follow our elders? And what does it mean for us uh, as partners? Well, tonight is going to be a very, very special service. If you're making a covenant with us tonight, Please come. Be here at 5 p.m. We're going to have a beautiful service uh, of worship and connection with each other, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. It's going to be so special, so special. So please be here if you can. Um, this is I, I, the way I think about it is, you know, for, for a while here, we've kind of since it's since like we've, we've sort of been some temple people, and we've got some South City people, and some people in between different churches coming in and different. And what this is saying sort of in a formal way is, you know what? We're just one church. We're just South City Church. That's who we're going to be. That's who we're going to be committed to, not about what we were, but about who we can be. I believe that's what God laid on my heart two years ago as I was praying about us trying this experiment. And I believe that's what uh, this coming evening service will be about. You know that we've mailed you covenants if we had your mailing address this week. We've emailed you covenants. We've got them in the back on the back table. If you don't have, have one, we want them to be available to you to read, to look over, to understand, to ask us any questions that you have, right? So we've tried to make those available to you. Well, this morning we're still talking about covenant. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know churches are aware of churches where their roles are maybe double, triple, or 10 times the amount of people that actually show up in the church? Right? I mean, all of us do, right? Because that's kind of the system in the American church. Our roles are these inflated lists of people that we may or may not know. It happens around here all the time. And I've been around here for a while. I, I kind of know a lot of the people who've come through this church. And if I've not been around for as long, I know Brother Jerry's been around, Miss Sue's been around for a long time. And uh, there have been numerous situations where we've gotten a letter from somebody saying, they're moving to another church, and we look at each other and go, I, who are these people? I don't know who they are. See, what we've done in the church is we've created a culture that says it's okay just to put your name up here on a card and then never really be a part. It's okay to put your name on a card and, and never really come that consistently, never really engage in ministry, never really grow as a family. I may come, I may not come, but I belong over there. And then what happens is we have these inflated roles 
Let me ask you this question. Can pastors care for people they don't know? Can a pastor walk alongside somebody in their life when they're struggling if he's never met them or if he doesn't know what's happening in their life because they come so sporadically that we can't keep up with where their heart is? The answer to that question, if you're wondering, is no. We cannot care for people we don't know and that people are not voluntarily bringing their families, their lives to be under our care. We can't do it. And yet we've been talking about this scripture from Hebrews that's a powerful one. Hebrews 13, 17, I won't read it again, but it speaks to the fact that elders and leaders and pastors will be held accountable for how we care for the spiritual lives of our people. And we can only do that if we know them, if uh, we know how they're doing, if we know that they're a part of what we're doing. We can only walk with them in that reality. So tonight, what we're doing, one of the things that we're doing tonight is we're kind of clearing our roles. From Temple, from South City, we're kind of starting over. And what that means is that we want to know who to care for. We want to know who understands who we are and wants to be with us, and we want to care for them to the best of our abilities because we're going to be held accountable to care for them. That's what we're doing. Okay? So I'm going to give you some more specifics. Some of you are going, well, how do, I, how do I become a partner in South City? I just came for the first time today. Sounds good to me. I'll be here tonight to partner. Let me give you some specifics here in just a minute. But first, I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. The writer says to us, hey, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's figure out how we can stir one another up to love Jesus and each other more. How do we figure that out? And how do we do it in such a way that we do it more consistently? Because the day is approaching where Jesus is coming. We don't have that much time as his church to make a difference in this broken world. So let's stir one another up. That's what this is saying. This is exactly what this covenant document does. It's stirring us up to love one another, to encourage one another to be here, to be consistent in our lives. Yes, in the service. Yes, in small group. Yes, in serving our community. Yes, in being a witness to your neighbors. Yes, in honoring Christ with your life and all that you are. That's what this document does. It just stirs us up to love the Lord and his people more consistently. Some of you ask the question, why are we doing this now? I mean, what, what about right now? Why are we doing this now? Let me remind you, I came to Temple in October of 2016. But Brother Jerry and I started conversations two years ago. And before those two years, I began to pray about whatever the Lord was laying on my heart to be here, uh, probably eight or nine months before that. But it was two years ago that he and I began some really serious conversations. And those conversations led to me coming on as the lead pastor at Temple in October 2016. The first thing we did was begin to look at what does biblical church leadership look like? What does a healthy church look like? And let's figure that out from Scripture, what it means to be a healthy church. And so we talked through that. And in a few months, we chose to move in that direction as a body to follow an elder-led model. And it was beautiful, but what we needed was a couple of elders that could help guide us. And so we had two advisory elders, John David Smith and Bill Wellens, amazing men of God who loved our church, loved me, loved you, and yet they had all kinds of knowledge and understanding about how to elder well. And so we asked them to help us. And for a year and a half, 
Those men have been in meetings, been praying, been guiding. It's been beautiful. Right after we had uh, the, the decision to, to have advisory elders and our own elders, we renovated this space. We wanted to be a place that would be inviting for new families to come. And we renovated our children's area so it would be safe and clean. And we did some of those things. And then we launched South City April 16th last year. That was a pretty big deal, right? And for this last year, we've been looking at what, what is our vision as a church? What are our core values as a church? What are our processes? How do we care for people well? We've been asking those questions and going deeper so that we can create a foundation of clarity and strength in Scripture so that we can lead well. That's been our heart. That's what we've been doing. We felt like just in the last six months that we finally had the, the, the men God was calling to us as a part of our church that could lead us as elders. And we felt like we, we could uh, ask uh, John, David, and Bill to go ahead and step off and to pray for us. But now that we could, now we could be represented as our own elders from our own body. That's something to celebrate. It's something to be excited about. This past spring, we talked about uh, what is discipleship? What does it mean to follow Christ and, and to be an authentic disciple, the way it says in our mission statement? And how do we make disciples? And, and what is a common language around discipleship? Not just doing church, but what does it mean to follow Christ as a disciple? And then beyond that, we begin to ask the question, what is the church? It's the family of God, but it's not just that. It's a family of families. And we got this common language, right? It's been this beautiful season, and it's been a two-year process. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Two years has gone by in this process. And all that God has done has been nothing short of a miracle. Amen? I'll amen myself because I know it's the truth. Because I've been on the front row of how good God is to me. I don't deserve to stand here. I have no uh, skills that are worthy enough to be able to lead you. And it is God's grace alone that has given us the staff we have and the gifts we have and the place we have and the people we have. He's a good God. And he has led us for two years. So here's a question. Who can partner? Who are the people that, that you say can partner? Well, I want to make it clear. So uh, if you've been a member of Temple Church and you want a covenant with us and you want to sign this covenant, you can partner with us. If you've come to South City and you've walked through our what's next process, which is an eight-week small group that basically we get to hear your heart, we get to hear your story, we get to hear what God is doing in your life. If you walk through that eight-week process and you sign this covenant, you can be a partner as well, Right? So either way, we want, we want you to hear this. Tonight is not a, we don't have a, there's not a deadline to signing a covenant or being a partner. We don't have a deadline. In fact, the what's next groups, there's one going on right now. In about six weeks, we'll start another one. Another one's going to kick off. And at the end of each of those eight-week periods, we will have a small little covenant night of celebration. It'll just be the what's next group. You know, this week, this right now, we're meeting back there in the back in this, in this building, talking, and there's about 10 of us. And uh, usually when that eight-week process goes on, when we finish the last night, we grill out and we have fun, we eat, and then we talk about what it means to be a partner. And from this point on, that partnership will include this covenant. So there's not a deadline. Some of you may be praying about what does it mean to be a partner? What does it mean to sign this document? It's okay to pray about that. It's okay to, take, to work through that. But let me say this. 
tonight's service is so special. And honestly, I don't know that we're going to do another service like tonight, ever. There's something foundational about who we are as a people, as a church, saying we want to love the Lord and we want to love each other so well that we want to come together and do this service together. Some of you are wondering about people who are uh, older generational people, people who can't come to church as much. Maybe they're, they're um, homebound or they're in a nursing home or something. They're shut in in some way. We are grandfathering them into our partnership. We want to care for them and love them the way we always have and better if we can. That's our hope and our prayer. Tonight's not the only time that you can partner with us. Here's another question. And I want to just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to read through the covenant because you have an you've had an opportunity for a few weeks to do that. Um, I'm not going to read through it, but I do want to highlight a few of the, the headers and talk about a few of the points in there, if I can, from the partner section, okay? Number one, who, who can partner with us and what's expected of us as partners? Number one, we want to know that we have people who are partners who believe in Jesus. They understand the gospel of Jesus. They understand that he has saved us and rescued us by his grace. People who've been baptized by immersion, right? Who are willing to say, God, I'm yours. And I want the watching world to see my life. And I want to live in such a way that honors you. I believe in you. Secondly, we want to see people who are willing to confess and say, hey, I believe like that church believes. I've seen their statement of faith. I've seen who they are. I've been a part of the services. I believe like they believe. I confess that's who I am as well. I want to be identified with them. The fact that they value the inerrant word of God, the fact that it changes us from the inside out and continues to change us, that's who I want to be. We want to be a people who live as Christ followers, right? Not just say it. That's what an authentic disciple is, is somebody who doesn't just say I'm a Christian, but that you can look at their life and you can say, no, that guy's a Christian. He lives as a Christ follower. Somebody asked this question this week. It's a great question. Some of our new folks, they said, hey, I'm, I'm looking in this section. It says, you have an expectation down here. It says that you want us to confess our sin to God and, and each other. Now, what is that supposed to look like? Like, are we going to circle up in groups and have to? And then somebody else said, yeah, are we, are we putting confessionals in the church? So let me just make this clear here. No confessionals in the church. Okay. But what we are saying is this. There is biblical precedent for sharing your life with other people. James 5, 16 says, we confess our sins one to another so that we may be healed. Lots of the New Testament, lots of scripture speaks of walking in the light, living in the light outside of our secrets because secrets will kill you. But life with each other will give you hope and give you the grace of Jesus together. So what we're saying is, yeah, this is again, aspirational. You may not be a play, at a place in your walk with Jesus where you're like, yeah, I just, I, I want to go find five people today and confess my sin. That's not what we're talking about. Is there someone in your life who you trust? Is there someone in your life that, who loves you, who will not condemn you or judge you, but listen to the brokenness of your life, pray with you, encourage you to holiness in Jesus? That's what we're talking about. There's no question it's a scriptural precedent. And that's all we're speaking to right there, Okay. It's saying that we want to live in such a way that we want our lives to be a witness to who God is. Because he's loved us, we want that love to radiate out of us to other people. That's what it's saying. We want to live that way and be intentional about it. Partners of South City Church are willing to submit to godly servant leaders called elders who are called by God 
to lead us for our good and our joy. It says that phrase in the, in the covenant. We'll follow, we'll submit to these elders who are called by God to lead us for our good and our joy. You know, submit, again, I've said this before in the last few weeks, it sounds like a dirty word, doesn't it? <gasps> submit. We're all called to submit. God's design is for us all to submit to someone. Everybody. Every single person. I am submitted to the elders. They are my bosses. I love them. They love me enough to hold me accountable to help me that I submit to them. My staff submits to me. My wife submits to me. Our children submit to me and my wife. There's a design in God's plan for submission, and it's for our protection. It's for our good and for our joy. What we're saying is when we submit to these elders, we're saying, God, we trust you. You've given us these men, and we trust you through these men. That's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. Have you ever had anybody in your life who, um, good friend, usually it takes a good friend to do this. Uh, Daryl and I were at a restaurant not too long ago, and I pointed at some chocolate cake, and I said, don't let me eat that. You ever had some, you ever done that, somebody? Don't let me eat that. Or have you ever been in a workout program? You're doing CrossFit, Annie. You're doing something, and you're like, you, you, hey, make sure you call me so that I get here in the morning. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know the reason we do that with people? It's because in our hearts we know we will fail. We know that, that we have good days and we have bad days. You know that there's a reality of the fact that you, friends need friends. We need each other. We're not created to live life alone. And so, will you help me? You've said that before, right? One of my favorite hymns of the church is, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. I love it. It's got this line. As a songwriter, I'm very sensitive to certain lines and songs. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Can I just tell you, every time I sing that song, it resonates very deeply. Even just saying the lyrics resonate very deeply with me. You know why? Because I'm prone to wonder. I'm prone to leave the God I love. That's the truth for me. It's the reality of who I am. And so as I confess it to the Lord, I know that there are a pro- there's a process he set up in his church to help me when I start to wonder. When I start to leave the God I love, he set you in place. People who hold me accountable go, hey, come on, come on back. This is God's design for the church. There's another dirty word, if you will, in the church we talk about in this covenant. It's discipline. It says in, in the covenant, when someone is in uh, outward, serious, and unrepentant sin, outward, serious, and unrepentant sin, there'll be, a, there'll be a situation of discipline. We believe this is a scriptural precedent, otherwise we wouldn't have it. Everything in this document is from scripture about how to lead the church. What we're saying here and is, and you need to know this right off the bat. We are a grace-giving, grace-loving church. The last thing we want to be is a legalistic church. That's the last thing we want to be. But guess what? Some conversations are hard. They still need to be had because it's for our good and our joy. And it's for the glory of God to be obedient to his word, how to, to run the church. Truth is, we know we're prone to wonder. We need people to help draw us back. Look at the scripture with me, Matthew 18, verse 15. This is Jesus speaking to his church, speaking to us. 
He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even, to even listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. I want you to notice something, the very first thing in that very first verse. If your stranger, if your neighbor, uh, no, if your brother, where do brothers exist? In family, right? This is not just anybody. We're not called to be judgmental people in that way, but we are called to love our brothers and sisters in the family of God in such a way that we're willing to do what we call informal discipline. That's what, this is what this is. So you go to somebody and you say, I did this recently with a friend of mine. He started a podcast, and, I, and the things he's saying in that podcast are heretical. They are not consistent with historic Christianity and Scripture. And because I love this guy and we have, dear, we have a dear friendship, I called him out on it. I didn't do it publicly. I, ca- I called him on the phone. I texted him. We've had this long conversation. I pleaded with him, brother, please stop what you're doing. You will lead people astray from the truth of the word of God. Please stop. That's informal discipline. That's, hey, brother, I know, I know that um, something's going on, but can, let's change that. Have you considered this? I want to pray with you. The hope is that they listen. And as they listen, it's, Jesus says, you gain your brother back. That's the hope, that they, the brother comes back to fellowship, relationship with Jesus and his church. Well, what is formal discipline? Well, look at the next few verses. If he doesn't listen, take one or two other Uh, others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's more formal. And even further formality. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That's formal discipline. Thing you you need to know, and I, I hope you really truly hear this. Discipline in the church, even though it's a hard word to hear, I understand. Nobody likes discipline. Discipline from the church's perspective is always restorative and never punitive. I'm going to say that again, and I want you to hear my heart. Discipline from the church should always be restorative, not punitive. Jesus said, go to your brother and and try and gain your brother back. Try and restore your brother to relationship with God and each other. It is not the church's job to punish or shame. But how many of us have seen the church punish and shame at different times. That is not the church's job. It is the church's job to restore, to restore people to fellowship with God and each other. There's also a little section here in our covenant that I want to just hit for a second. There have been some questions about it, and I want to give clarity to it if I can. What if, what if uh, somebody's walking through a disciplinary process, and they withdraw from the church and say, oh, I don't want to be a part of your church anymore? Here's the thing, each one of us have different, we will have different churches that we're a part of in our lifetime, right? Every one of us will be a part of maybe five, six, seven churches in our lifetime. The thing is, is your relationship with God is bigger than just your one relationship with the church, isn't it? It is. It, it, it exceeds just one relationship. When you leave this church, it doesn't mean your relationship with God ends, right? It means your, your relationship with the Lord goes to this next church and you can be a blessing in that church. 
it, it, there's an overarching aspect of your relationship with the Lord. What we're saying is, we have a desire for you to be restored to Jesus. So if we're walking with someone, and I'm going to give you an example. We, we recently walked through a disciplinary situation. We were walking with someone in this disciplinary situation, pleading with them, trying to restore them back to our church, the fellowship of the Lord and to the church. We, we agreed as elders that the disciplinary process was going to be counseling. We want you to go through counseling so that you can see why you've chosen these decisions that you've chosen. And our hope is that you're restored back to Jesus and to the church. That was our discipline, okay? Again, restorative, not punitive. So for three or four months, they were walking with us. They weren't attending. We know to say that they don't seem to be doing what we're asking them to do, to attend, to be with us, to go through these processes. They weren't doing that. And so we were having to get to this next section that says, if they don't listen to you, we were about to make a decision to remove them from fellowship. And I got an email, said, hey, we're going to another church. So this is what happens. Now I'm not their pastor. So I'm, I don't have that spiritual authority over them, but you know what I am? I am a brother. So I sent a letter and I said, hey, I want you to know we love you. We're so thankful for you, but our heart is that you heal because your relationship with Jesus is greater than just your relationship with this one church. You, you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes in our heart as elders is that we can lead people, even if they remove themselves from partnership, we can encourage people to restoration with the Lord and a church somewhere. But always it's to be restorative, uh, not punitive. See, the idea is that we don't need people jumping from church to church, but this is the reality. If I get in hot water over here, I'll just jump over to this church where nobody knows anything. And then I can start over, right? And when it gets weird over there, I'll just, I'll pop over here. That's not the design that God has for his church. He has the design for us to care for one another, even, even in the city, right? So that's the idea over that. Here's the next section. Partners of South City value Christian community. We understand that God never designed our lives or our families to be walked alone. I don't know if you noticed this week, two celebrities committed suicide. People with a lot of money, people at the top of their industry, and it is heartbreaking. And I have been sad this week for their families that they felt in some way, and, and I know that there's mental issues, and I get that, and I don't want to downplay that. But for whatever reason, I believe they felt alone. For whatever reason, I believe they felt like they, they couldn't have conversations that were real to share with others about these fears and these things they're walking through, and they made a decision to commit suicide. It breaks my heart. God never intended for his church or his people to walk alone. We've been called to walk in community. What we're saying in this section is, listen, we want to be here. We want to be here in services. We want to learn. We understand that being here in services is part of our discipleship, but it's not all of it. I've told you before, if all you did was come faithfully to this service, that is not enough for your discipleship in Jesus. It's not enough. You need to walk life in community with others through our small groups, through Bible studies, and we want to offer those opportunities to you. What we're saying is we want to be committed to other believers. There's a phrase in our covenant that says this, we want to live life on life, life in community, and life on mission together. 
That's saying, I want to be connected, life on life. Our lives are, are connected to each other in a great way. Life with other people, intentional community, and on mission. Life is not just about me. It's about the gospel of Jesus through me to the world. This is not my story. It's his story. We're also saying we want to be willing to help each other. Even if we need to support each other, we're willing to do that because that's what we see in the text of Scripture. Do you weep with brothers who weep? Do we celebrate with those who celebrate? That's the kind of community we're talking about that we want to be. Here's the next section. It's saying we want to serve in the church. It's saying if I have uh, the strengths or gifts or abilities to help and there's a need in the church, I want to serve there. I want to do that. That's part of being a family. Last night, we had dinner, a little dinner that we fixed, and as soon as dinner was over, you know, the girls want to just hop up. You know, how the, you know how these kids are, right? Hop up out of the table and head in just to turn on the TV or look at a phone or something. I was like, ah, 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 Get in here. Get, hand me that plate. You do that plate. I'll do the dishes. You put this. You know what I'm saying? You see, in a family, we all have roles that we're supposed to do. In a family, we all have these little responsibilities that make us a family. My kids are learning that. They're growing to understand that. And I think we're growing to understand it as a church as well. One family responsibility is not just to serve, but also to give. Also to give. It's saying that as a partner, we understand that everything we have has been given by God. We are just managers of what he's given. What I've been given, every single thing I have is his. It's the Lord's. And I give back as a steward, as a manager of the things he's given me. That means my time, I'm not just talking about money, my time, my resources, my talents. I want to be obedient to the Lord and his word. And I want people to look at my life and say, he is generous and he is willing to sacrifice. That's what a partner is. The saying we understand that when we give to South City Church, we want it to be as an act of worship. Can I just ask you, please don't give under compulsion. Scripture says not to give to the church under compulsion. Give out of the abundance of your heart. Get out, give out of the joy of your life. Now, I will tell you this. We believe there is an obedience piece to this. We believe Scripture teaches that a tithe is a scriptural framework for giving. The reality is, scripturally, it's kind of the bottom part of the framework, but it's a framework. But whatever you choose to give, and that's between you and God, do so with joy. Let, let giving be a direct result from where your heart is. Because when we give to the Lord, we're saying, God, we trust you. Above what I can see, above what I may want right now, above what the situation is, we're saying, you provide for me and everything I have is yours, so I'm just going to give back to you. I trust you. That's what a partner understands. And there's a last item here in the covenant that I want to bring your attention to. This last item just says, we value conversation. That's all it says. There are going to be many. In fact, we may never have a Sunday with this exact number of people uh, with who you are here like this ever again. Next Sunday, there'll be different people, some missing, some added. And a year from now, it'll be a different group of people, right? God leads people sometimes away from the church for different reasons. All we're asking is for a conversation. How would it be, if we're a family, how would it be if a family, one morning the family woke up and dad just chose to leave, right? 
Does that sound like an appropriate thing to do? Well, I guess dad just left. I don't know. I'm not seeing him again. But yet we in the church sometimes think, well, it'll just be quieter if I just slip away. Let me tell you something. No. No. If you're truly a family member, if you truly have responsibilities as a family, if you've truly been a part of a family, you will be missed. It will be noticed, and it will be hurtful when all we want to do is love you and say thank you for investing in us. Can we pray over you as God sends you out? We don't want anybody feeling like they're being held here for some reason. We only want people who want to be here and want to travel with us and journey with us. But can we just ask that you do it with a conversation? We believe God leads different people for different reasons. We want to celebrate you and say thank you for your kindness. Here's another thing. According to Matthew 18, it's possible that we've made some mistakes. And if we make mistakes, we need to hear about those. We want to be teachable. We want to be moldable. We want to hear from you. If there's things that we need to learn from, we need to hear that. And it could be that you share something with us and we go, we had no idea. We need to address this. But if you just slip away, number one, it speaks to the fact that were you really connected? Because that's not what family members do. And number two, it says something about a lack of relationship that should be there. Before we go, I just want to answer a couple more questions about our covenant. A few things I just want to highlight for you. I want you to know that this is, I'm going to take this out. This covenant, this is not a legal document. There's been some question about the legality of this, this document. This is not a legal document. Even though there's a place on here where you, we want you to sign your name or print your name. doesn't matter to us if you print or sign it. This is not a legal document. One of our elders is uh, an attorney. So I called him last week and I said, hey, can this document in any way be seen as a legal document? He said, absolutely not. He said, if, if you see this document as a legal document, you've missed the heart and reason for this document altogether. And I said, well, then tell me, what does it mean to sign this document? He said, for, for you to sign this document simply means you've read it, you understand it, and you want to be a part. I, I don't know much about law, but he does. He teaches law at the university here in Little Rock. It's not a legal document. This is an aspirational document. It's saying, hey, let's live up to who we want to be as a church. It's saying on the front page, we will fail. We will make mistakes. We will need God's grace over our individual lives and over the lives of each other. And we'll need to give that to one another. Well, why do we have to sign? What, what, is, what, what does it mean to sign something? Well, do you sign your marriage documents? I, trust me, I loved Lori with all of my heart. I, wasn't gonna, I wanted to be with her forever. But I wanted there to be a, a more serious covenant with, with us. I had to sign something. When we ask for volunteers in the church, we put out a thing and say, hey, can, will, you, will you sign up? You sign your name to volunteer, and that way we know you're in to help us. This is the same thing. This is the same thing. It's an act of our will. It's stating we've read, understand it, we want to be a part. It's a personal commitment to be a part. It's saying I'm in. And let me say this. To not sign this document, I believe it says one of two things. 
to not sign this document, it says either I don't trust you, the leadership of this church, or I'm not willing to try and live to the commitment it says to live to. I don't trust you, and I don't want to live up to what you're saying. This document is nothing but the encouragement of the Word of God to live like a believer in Jesus and to live like His church. And I have, I have to tell you, for anybody who thinks it's more than that, it breaks my heart. This is, there's a few people that think it's more than that. It is breaking my heart. This is not, my, this is not our heart to create some formal, legal, binding. That's, we're just trying to say, who's with us at South City? Sign up and be a part of this family. That's our heart. That's our heart. Well, why should I partner? <laughs> Why'd you get married? Why don't you just stay together? There's a reason for formal agreements. There's a reason for saying we want to honor the covenant with the Lord and each other. We want to be obedient to his word. We want to um, commit to doing our part. We want to take responsibility. We want to be identified with this family. And I think there's also a sign of surrender. It's kind of saying, hey, we acknowledge our need for each other. There's the, the married, the family text, theologians call it in Ephesians. And I love, I love this text. And I, I, looking over this in Ephesians 5, I want to bring you this, this to your attention. Ephesians 15 through 21, it speaks directly to the church. How to live as the church, how to, how to live among each other, how to care for each other, how to live your life in such a way as a part of the church. At the very end of this section in verse 21, look what it says. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now listen, I know some of you may look at this document and feel nervous about it because it feels like I can't live up to this. You need to hear me say, there is grace. I'm so thankful there's grace. And there's also growth. There's grace over every one of our lives, and there's an opportunity to grow into who God wants us to be as a family. And some of you may look at this document and go, you know what? I've been wounded by the church. I've been wounded by leaders in the church, and I will be the first one to raise my hand and say, me too. I get it. I get the lack of, of, of trust, the struggle with that. This is what I would say to that. Know our hearts. Get to know your elders. And out of reverence for Christ, enter this covenant trusting, submitting to him and each other. Because at the core of all of this is our desire just to love God and each other. That's it. That's, that's the core and the heart of this document. Well, speaking of elders, I've asked them this morning, if they would, to come and just if they wanted to share a minute or two of their heart to you about this covenant, you don't need to just hear from me. I'm just one of five elders. Justin Elrod is in Washington, D.C. today. He's coming home, and he's, he was heartbroken. He couldn't be here today, but he, he serves on a board for elder law, uh, and he was in D.C. doing that, and he couldn't, he couldn't skip that. So, guys, will you come on up and share with us? Whoever wants to go first can just kind of share with us informally your heart and thoughts about our covenant, if you will. Good morning, everyone. 
Drew just did a masterful job, I think, of reminding us of what spiritual family is like and our commitment to that. I, I thought I'd share a verse from Galatians 6, 9. It says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to the household of faith. I think that's the diagnostic question we're asking ourselves this morning is, who is my household of faith? Hmm. And we've been talking about that in first principles uh, in our books for the last several months about the importance of that. We talked about spiritual family. Just remember a few weeks back, the sharing service that we had in here, a lot of tears that morning, just looking at the family, what God was doing, growing us together and all that. Remember the sweet time we had there? I think that's important for us to remember. This is not to be a heavy thing. This is to be, who's our family? And so that's exciting to me, and we're just excited to be a part of this process. Good morning. Uh, every word that I've heard this morning just rings in my heart, and I'm so thankful, so grateful for everything that I have seen God doing here in South City. Uh, we are so thankful. Colleen and I, that we can be uh, part of this thing that the Lord has made. Um, I believe, as uh, Pastor Drew has already said, that marriage is a, a very, very deep and serious commitment. And I'm so grateful that I can be our, our anniversary, Colleen and I celebrated uh, 34 years uh, on the 9th. And um, it's, it's because we have a best friend in Jesus. Yeah. We have a best friend in Jesus. Now, when we entered into marriage covenant, we entered into it uh, joyfully, solemnly, uh, with, uh, with gravity, and yet joyful, voluntary, and that's where it started, and that's what it's been all along. Yeah, we get after each other uh, from time to time, and, and I'm so thankful for that as well. Uh, all good friends do, and that's my best friend, Colleen, right there. Um, but we have a covenant relationship, and that's what a family is all about. And I totally agree with uh, every word and, and with what the Lord is doing in this covenant family of families. And I just want to say uh, the emphasis needs to be on voluntary, joyfully, so to do it voluntarily, to do it joyfully, to do it solemnly. And I'm so looking forward to being with you, having communion with you, praying with you, and, and saying, I'm with you tonight. That's my heart. God's given me the privilege of being in ministry 59 years. And during that time, I've had the privilege of working with a lot of churches in the United States and around the world. And I have always wondered why are Christians in the churches not really serious 
about this business of living the Christian life. In the last few years, we've seen the great decline in churches. And I firmly believe that it has been because that the leaders of the churches have not stepped up and have not asked and challenged the church members to be the kind of an example they need to be in living their Christian life. My heart, and I know the heart of this man, is that South City Church may be a congregation that walks daily with God and lives an example before the community of being a true child of God. I feel that making a serious step, as has been said, and saying, yes, I commit. Yes, I submit. I'm willing to go all the way. I feel that that's what we're asking. And is it trust? Yes. We're asking you to trust us. If we don't deserve that trust, okay. But we're asking you to trust us. Because we're the ones that will one day stand before God and give account for the way that we have led you in your Christian experience. You're not going to, but we are. And for me, I'm saying in my life, it's time to be serious about the Christian life. This is who I want to be. And I, I, I pray that we can understand the, the reality of this and the seriousness of it and that God will lead us together to greater things for his honor and for his glory. Amen. Thank you, man. I just feel led to pray. So... Would you just pray? Can we just pray as the church? I'll lead us in just a minute, but the point of this prayer is not for you to listen to me pray, but for us to pray together as a family. Because there's no question that we're under attack from the enemy. There's no question that he doesn't like when his people get serious about relationship with him and relationship with each other. It's a very a challenging thing to do. So would you pray for our church? Would you pray for 
tonight's service as we covenant together. And would you pray for the Lord to continue to do a work in us so much bigger than us. It's in spite of us. It's out of his kindness. It's out of his grace. Would you pray with me? just submit today how much we love you how grateful we are for your sacrifice over us Jesus God we rejoice in the fact that you long for us to have abundant life thank you and Lord we thank you for the plan that you've laid out for us in our homes in your church God, give us courage to live the way you've called us to live, to be who you've called us to be, and to do it in a way, Lord, that brings you honor and glory. God, we pray for tonight. I pray in the name of, the name of Jesus, the strong name of Jesus, God, that you would be magnified today in these words, in these songs, tonight that you'd be lifted up, oh God, in this effort to know you more, to stir one another up to love and good works. Because you're coming back, God. We've got to get serious about who we are and whose we are and how we live for you, how we love you, Lord. So God, would you even stir in the hearts of the people in these seats today? Would you draw them to you and would you draw them to a family, whether it be ours or another one, that will love them the way you've called your church to love and lead. And God, by your grace and mercy, would you allow us as the elders of South City Church to lead with this heart, to be teachable, to love, to restore, to strengthen. Lord, thank you for this beautiful time we get to experience tonight. We pray that you be glorified in it. Lord, we give you this time, we give you our lives. We thank you so much, God, for all your gifts and your kindness for us. I pray for my friends that are struggling. I pray for anyone that's asking questions, Lord, that still can't make something right in their heart. Would you give them peace? Would you give them rest? Would you lead them to your word and by your spirit, would you give them guidance, God? We love them so much and we love you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Will you stand as we worship this morning?